0: Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talked to John Hodge of Three Down Nation with the CFL Free Agency just around the corner. Some big names still on the list for the Blue Bombers. Who's the biggest fish for the rest of the league? We'll talk about that as well as the Brian Flores lawsuit brought against the NFL for alleged racial discrimination. Their hiring practices. We'll talk to Esquire Digital legal analyst Aaron Solomon on the podcast. Joined by John Hodge of Three Down Nation with free agency just around the corner. John, you excited for, for Tuesday to get here?
1: I'm always excited for free agency in the CFL. It's one of the best days of the CFL calendar, and I think this year is going to be action packed.
0: So is at the number one spot on your list, mm-hmm. Jeremiah Mazzoli. Is he the big fish out there this year?
1: Absolutely. I mean it, it's it's not common. Right, for, for proven starters at the quarterback position to reach for agency. And that's that's what Jeremiah Mazzoli is, is is going to do on Tuesday. He will not be back with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They signed Dane Evans to a contract extension. He's going to be the starter moving forward and, and him and you know, honestly, him and Mazzoli there there was no clear cut starter in Hamilton this past year. They they kind of jockeyed as one as A and one B over parts of the season. We saw Dane Evans start uh, the Grey Cup, of course, Jeremiah Masoli finished it and was was better in that game. But you know they were neck and neck all along. And and the two big suitors for Jeremiah Masoli are the Edmonton Elks and the the Ottawa Redblacks. I mean, the Edmonton Elks have more talent at the quarterback position at the moment than Ottawa. They've got Nick Arbuckle, who they acquired via trade from Toronto. They've got Taylor Cornelius, who started about a half dozen games as a rookie last year. They signed J T Barrett, former college star at, at Ohio State. Whereas Ottawa, they're they're essentially just, they've got Caleb Evans, right? Who's who started some games there as a rookie in 2021. So uh, I think that's the first big domino to fall. And then depending on how that goes and the price tag that Masoli, you know, ends up reaching uh, that'll determine a lot of how the rest of free agency goes and how those two teams spend their money.
0: I would have figured that Ottawa would have been the slam dunk home for him just because I thought that Arbuckle was the guy in Edmonton. But is that not the case then?
1: Well, you, you got to remember that that Arbuckle was traded for from, from Toronto by the previous regime. So Brock Sunderland, as the general manager in Edmonton, did that trade with the Argos, got Nick Arbuckle to town, signed him to an extension, and then I believe it was two weeks later, he was fired, along with the CEO, President Chris Preston, and the head coach, Jamie Elizondo. So the current regime there, led by head coach, general manager Chris Jones, ha- has no loyalty to Arbuckle. He didn't bring him in. Um, some of the members of that new coaching staff did have Arbuckle in Toronto, and those two sides have since redone that contract. Uh, but there are some rumors that, uh, that that secondary deal that's since been done was agreed upon by the, the prior regime, and, and the new regime agreed uh, to, to uphold that. So I would not read into anything that currently exists between Edmondson and Arbuckle, I think, in the event that Masoli goes to Ottawa, Arbuckle could be the guy. But as of right now, I think if Edmonton had their way, it would be Masoli under contract, and they would look uh, to do something else with Nick Arbuckle's, Arbuckle's contract, either release him, uh, trade him, um, and do something else, simply because the current regime was not responsible for bringing Arbuckle to the City of Champions.
0: All right, let's look local here with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The list of players they have signed has been growing every week. A lot of big names have been brought back. Still, some big names haven't been signed yet. Let's start with Kenny Lawler. Can we say that he's probably not going to re-sign with the Bombers, given the reported deal he has on the table from the Lions?
1: I I think that is is a likelihood at this point that uh, Kenny Lawler will be signing that contract. With the B.C. Lions, uh, Kenny Lawler was was largely recruited to the CFL by Ryan Rigmaiden, who was in Winnipeg's front office at that point. Ryan Rigmaiden is now the assistant general manager with the B.C. Lions, and, and he's recruited some previous talent from Winnipeg there. For instance, you know, Bomber fans remember Marcus Sales, 2019 CFL All-Star at halfback. Um, he, he ended up signing with B.C. Lucky Whitehead was another player who Rigmaiden brought to the CFL. Has since signed in BC, so I think Lawler is the next guy on the list that Rig Maiden is trying to bring there. And when you offer a guy a contract that would make him the CFL's highest-paid non-quarterback, you know that that is going to take some some serious competition to try to to try to match that. And frankly, I don't think the Bombers have that cap space. I don't think the Bombers have that that kind of money sitting around. You'd have to convince Lawler to take less money to remain in winnipeg and if it's you know if, it, if we're talking five ten thousand dollars that's maybe not tough to do if, if you're talking about a you know a forty fifty 80 thousand dollar difference that's a completely other story so i i wouldn't say there's a zero percent chance that kenny Waller is back but certainly i think there is a very high probability that he will be leaving winnipeg to sign with the bc lions
0: but we don't know how much money there is because in the NHL you could go to Cap Friendly, in other leagues you can you know exactly how much all the contracts are worth. In the CFL you don't know. Do you think that is that does a disservice to fans that we don't really know how much players make unless it's reported out, and it's generally only the high high earners that have their contract values reported out?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean one thing you have to remember: CFL contracts tend to be very complicated. Uh, more so than, than NHL contracts. It's it's not uncommon for a player to have 9 to 12 clauses within a CFL contract. They have their salary, but they'll get a different portion of the deal paid out as a signing bonus, a different portion paid out as a housing bonus, a different portion paid out uh, as, as a playtime bonus. If they reach 500 receiving yards, they get X. If they start eight or more games, they get Y. If they're named an All-Star, they get this bonus. If they're named... Uh, you know, this, that, the other thing. So uh, I do see it from the league side of, well, these, these contracts are, it, it, it's not, oh, they've signed for X. There, there's a lot of factors at play if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of it. Uh, but with that being said, I, I certainly do think that the CFL needs to be more transparent with these things because, you know, I, I once had a conversation with a player who was very opposed to having any contract information uh, shared publicly. And he, he, the phrase that he used was, my meager salary is nobody's business and I asked him well how much do you make off the record he says well I I make $90,000 and it's like well you're not a star player an average player on an average CFL roster you know a lot of people (laughs) in this country in this province would love to make $90,000 they've never made $90,000 and they never will make $90,000 in their line of business And and I'm not diminishing the work of of CFL players because they do have to be in top shape and train throughout the offseason. But let's not forget, a lot of players get off a plane, you know, Labor Day week or pardon me, uh, May long weekend. And they're back on the plane to go home, whether that's in another province or another country, you know, by the second week of November. So we're talking about a five, six month commitment to make $90,000. And if you're American, you can use that work visa that you've got or or that uh, I forget the official term for it, but that that pass that that allows you to work in the CFL. That works 12 months of the year. You can work another job in the off season, maybe not full time because again you do have commitments to training that kind of thing in the off season, but it it's absolutely possible for your average player to, to work 10, 20, even 30 hours in the off season and and make extra money that that is obviously going to put you well over the hundred thousand dollar mark if you're making ninety during the season. So yes, I think the CFL and the CFLPA would be smart to start publicizing that because I, I know casual fans. Oh, well, how much do CFL players make? Do they make 30000 thirty thousand, forty thousand? And it's no, like the, the minimum salary is sixty five, and and the average salary, depending on exactly how you calculate it, I, I'd estimate between eighty and ninety thousand dollars. And that's that's nothing to sniff at for for it's, it's obviously nothing compared to the NFL. But compared to Joe Blow on the street, $90,000 is nothing to sniff at.
0: I guess, yeah, it's a matter of what you're comparing it to. If you're comparing it to other pro athletes, perhaps it's viewed upon in a different way than you're comparing it to, you know, regular people. But let's get back to the Bombers here. And Andrew Harris is a name that uh, I've seen reports from Farhan Lalji that there haven't been any formal discussions with the club. And Harris, can you picture a uh, a 2022 Blue Bomber team without Andrew Harris as the tailback?
1: Yeah, I could, and I, I'm not saying that to to infer that, that Harris won't be back. I think there is still a possibility. I think Winnipeg's number one priority was not losing their two young running backs, those, of course, being Brady Oliveira and Johnny Augustine, who we saw this past season while well, Harris was out for seven games. Augustine re-signed today. I'm sure they'd love to have Oliveira back. Now, general manager Kyle Walters has previously said they will not be able to get all three back, or at least there's a very – slim chance they'll be able to get all three back and a lot of Bomber fans may have forgotten the team drafted a uh, highly sought after running back out of the University of Regina in 2021 his name is Kyle Borsa who I think they, they really like so they've got Augustine back they've got Kyle Borsa under contract through 2024 but you obviously need to supplement that and that's why I think we will see one of Harris's or Oliveira back I don't blame anybody in Winnipeg's front office or coaching staff who wants Olivera back because of course he's a decade younger than Andrew Harris Andrew Harris is turning 35 later this offseason but that said there's no arguing that Harris was the best running back this past year he still proved even though he had two injuries missed seven games he still proved that he can take over a game just rewatch that West final against Saskatchewan Zach Kolaris three picks and yet andrew harris took things over really was essential to them winning that game rushing for i believe it was 136 yards and a touchdown so you know i I still think we'll see one of those guys back from an age perspective i fully get why you'd want to bring back brady Oliveira, but i also see the argument for andrew harris especially because he's you've still got two good young canadian running backs who are in the organization ready to supplement harris if and when he suffers another injury in 2022
0: So I'll get you out of here on this. What do you see as the biggest, at the moment, and there's still a few days to go before free agency, the Bombers can sign people between now and then. What do you foresee being the biggest spot of need for this club?
1: I think it's the receiver position. Um, You know, this this club has already brought back Rasheed Bailey. That was a big signing. Nick Dembski's already under contract. Uh, Drew Wolitarski recently re-signed. But, you know, Kenny Waller was, was... You know, he became a megastar. Frankly, in 2021, he led the entire league in receiving, had the 200-yard game in BC, was just sensational. uh, That game in Vancouver and uh, Darwin Adams, at 32, is also unsigned. He's been a mainstay in Winnipeg since 2015. I think there's a good chance that he will be leaving via free agency. And if you're if you're losing those two, I don't think you have to panic, but I do think you have to make. Some type of addition. Jake Weineke, Montreal, is arguably the best red zone target in the CFL. Greg Ellingson has been an all star a ton of times out in Edmonton. I, I believe he's looking for a, a change of scenery. Uh, Durrell Walker, same thing. He's been, you know, was a perennial all star, had a down year in 2021. Maybe there's an opportunity to get him on, on a discounted deal. Jalen Acklin, I, I believe Jalen Acklin's headed to Ottawa where uh, Sean Burke has, has become the general manager, was previously with the Ticats, but maybe maybe there's a market there for, for Jalen Ackland and Winnipeg coming over from the Ticats. I, I don't think it matters necessarily which receiver you get. I just see that as a position the Bombers should supplement with at least one veteran if they're losing two. And then at that point, you can trust your scouting department to find the other spot, whether that's you know a rookie you broke in in the 2021 season or whether that's uh, that's somebody who comes in just like Kenny Lawler did, for example, in 2019, comes out of nowhere and, and shows that he's he's really a guy who can, who can produce. So receiver, that would be the spot that I would target for Winnipeg or highlight for Winnipeg as a spot of need, particularly with Adams and Lawler likely headed out of town.
0: Gives us a lot to pay attention to over the next week or so. John, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for your insight on this, and uh, enjoy free agency.
1: Thanks, Christian. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: Earlier this week, former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores stunned the football world when he filed a class-action lawsuit against the NFL, the Dolphins, the Broncos, and the Giants. Flores is alleging racial discrimination regarding his interview processes with Denver and New York and is firing last month by Miami. For more on what's in the lawsuit, what it means for the NFL, for Flores, and the future of African-Americans who want to be head coaches in the NFL, we're joined by Aaron Solomon, who is the chief legal analyst for Esquire Digital in the U.S., Aaron, when you learned about this lawsuit, were you caught off guard?
2: So it was really funny because I've you know, been following the Rooney rule for years and years, and I just finished writing a piece on the Rooney Rule given the fact that four of the head coaching vacancies of the nine had been filled. And then our PR team immediately told me when I was about to send in the piece, hey, Brian Flores just filed suit. So then I went and kind of had to redo the piece based on his lawsuit. I'm surprised that somebody had the courage to do what he did, which is essentially step into the shoes of Colin Kaepernick. There's no way that Brian Flores is ever, ever, ever going to work in the NFL again, not even selling peanuts in the concession, because he's taken on a really big enemy here. So I was very surprised that somebody had the courage to call out the NFL for what they've been doing for decades, Uh, and Brian Flores is a great guy to do it.
0: Well, because following the the coaching vacancies, I thought Flores would be someone that Would get hired. Uh, He had a good turnaround in Miami. I know there was a power struggle there, but the reality that no black head coaches have been hired in the cycle, a lot of them have been interviewed. There seems to be something going on because as we've talked about for years in the NFL, there's so many great African-American players. It's impossible that none of them could be good head coaches, right?
2: Yeah, there's something going on. It's called racism. So it's actually called, you know, to use the term that's so overused these days in the United States, because it's true, is structural racism. So if you think about the way the NFL works, you know, anywhere between 60 and 70 percent of their players each year are black. And you've got a fan base that's around 80 percent white. Of the 32 teams, 31 of them are owned by white billionaires. So, you know, this is like, as this is not my words, but this is Brian Flores' words. I read all of his legal pleadings, and he actually compared the National Football League in the way they do business to the way plantation owners did business. He's not playing.
0: So reading this lawsuit then, I believe it's 58-page filing in New York, does he have a good case?
2: So I think he's got a great case, and what all of our listeners tonight need to remember as they get more and more information is it's very important to separate the things that are going to be relevant legally to this case to the things that we just find interesting. So for example, one of the things that came up was that Ross, the um, owner of the Dolphins, was supposedly, allegedly offering $100,000 to Flores for each game the Dolphins lost when they were trying to go up in draft position, which, of course, in the NFL is a very, very important thing. And Flores declined because, you know, he's the kind of guy that he's honest and forthright and wants to win games. Now, that I don't think is relevant to this issue at all. All that really shows is the narrative that's been created around Brian Flores, which for the Dolphins was that he wasn't a good communicator, meaning that he didn't say yes to take this money to throw games. You said a couple minutes ago, you know, he was a good coach. One of the most exciting teams to follow for most of this past NFL season was the Dolphins when they had their winning streak. And he managed to do all of this with a bone average quarterback into a Tiger Vailoa. Let's be honest, he's not a great quarterback and he's not a terrible quarterback. If Brian Flores was a white coach, he and his lawyers allege he would still have a job as a Dolphins head coach. Black coaches historically in the NFL, when they actually get to the point that they can become head coaches, don't get a lot of time. I mean, look at David Culley, one year with the Houston Texans without their quarterback, and he actually overachieved.
0: Four wins for a really bad team this year, and a, and I've read... Uh, statistics that black coaches generally get less of a of a time to try to prove themselves and then you see something like Dallas where Jason Garrett is just mediocre for years and he still has a job and so one of the things coming out of this lawsuit is looking at the Rooney rule and asking is it actually working and for those who are unfamiliar Aaron could you just quickly explain the Rooney rule and how it's sort of changed over the last little bit
2: I'm very happy to. So the Rooney rule, named after the former Pittsburgh Steelers owner, Art Rooney, was a rule that came into effect in 2003 to address something very, very serious in the NFL, that black executives and black coaches weren't getting jobs. So the rule is very simple. It says that for any head coaching vacancy in the NFL, the team has to interview, now that's the key word, interview two black candidates. Okay, so it's a box-checking exercise. All of us in our job do things to check boxes, right? Got to do those TPS reports so we check off that box. And that's exactly what the Rooney Rule was. It didn't end up in black coaches getting jobs. In fact, in 2003, when this rule came into place, there were three black head coaches. Today, there's one, Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who's one of the deans of the coaching profession. He's been doing this as a head coach of the Steelers since 2007. So the NFL owners have been laughing their heads off for 20 years that they've been able to get away with a rule that has no teeth. The Brian Flores lawsuit essentially kills the Rooney rule and is going to lead towards real change in the NFL or the NFL just having to pay a lot of money for the wrongs that they've been doing.
0: So he also uh, sues specific teams in this lawsuit, the Giants, the Broncos, and his former employer, the Dolphins, uh, based on their hiring practices. Is, Is he essentially shining a light, Aaron, on the fact that these interviews for black head coaches are literally like you said a box checking exercise and that they actually really had no chance of ever getting the job
2: yes so one of the things that really is relevant to the lawsuit are these um as we all think very sexy uh exchanges with bill belichick sexy in that bill belichick was the head coach of the patriots was texting the wrong brian so he had both Brian Daybull, and I'm a huge Buffalo Bills fan. So Brian Daybull just took over as head coach of the Giants, and he was the offensive coordinator for the Bills. But he also had, early in his career, Brian Flores. So what happened is Belichick texted Brian Flores saying, hey, coach, congratulations. I hear you're the guy who's getting the job. And Flores writes back saying, oh, thanks, coach. You're such a great guy, and thanks for letting me know. But I don't interview until Thursday. And then things got super, super awkward from there. Think about all the those gifts that we love on Twitter. Think about the awkward one. This was the most awkward one. And then Belichick admitted, whoops, I thought I was texting Brian Dayball. So he actually still went to the interview, Brian Flores, knowing that Dayball was getting the job. And when they asked him this yesterday morning on CBS This Morning in the United States, he said, you know what? I just like... Felt that that was the right thing to do. And I believe in the good in people. And who knows, maybe they would change their hearts at the last minute. But he went into a job that they already had a white coach ready to hire. And one thing we've got to point out for all of our listeners. We're not saying that a guy like Brian Dable, who got the Giants job, isn't a great coach. He's a fantastic offensive coordinator. And he's going to be an excellent coach. We're just saying that there are equally great black coaching candidates. And I count around two dozen black offensive and defensive coordinators and position coaches who either have already been good head coaches and are trying to get head coaching jobs again, or who deserve a chance.
0: And looking at some of the other details in the lawsuit, it points out the uh, specific coaches that haven't been given chances after some successes and the reality of, the, the structure of how you end up being a head coach. There are just fewer offensive coordinators that are black and it's offensive coordinators who often end up getting hired as head coaches more than defensive coordinators do. So I guess the obvious question, Aaron, now is where do we go from here? Where does this take us? Where's this lawsuit going to go?
2: So it's going to court, (laughs) number (laughs) one. So for especially for Canadian listeners, um, I'll explain the system very quickly in the United States. This is going to a federal district court in New York, so United States District Court. No matter what the result is there, the losing party could appeal to a federal circuit court of appeals. And those courts of appeals are based on geography. And then let's say the loser of that decision, if it gets to the appellate level, decides that there really is an area of law here that still needs to be litigated, they could try to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court is harder getting a case in front of them than it is getting into Harvard. They accept, like, one less than 1% of the cases each year. But if the Supreme Court decided they wanted to hear it, to give you a sense of timeline, we could be looking at years. Now, the NFL is going to do everything they can to settle this case, including throwing a lot of money at Brian Flores. And he and his lawyers, I believe, will not settle this. They want to set the path like Colin Kaepernick did for the people who follow. So they want to see this all the way to a trial. This is going to be extremely expensive. The NFL is going to end up paying one way or the other. And I believe the end result of this case is there's going to have to be something that looks like the Rooney Rule was supposed to look like but actually works and gets black head coaching candidates jobs.
0: Is this a PR crisis for the NFL?
2: Yeah, but the NFL always has PR crisis. I mean, I wrote something for a major paper in in London, England a few months ago when the NFL had their race norming issue. All of us remember that. There's a huge concussion payout in the NFL. And what the NFL was essentially saying is that, well, black former players shouldn't get as much. Because essentially, they don't have the same cognitive functions. This goes back to the kind of stuff that Al Campanis was saying in baseball in the 1980s when he was asked why there aren't more black GMs and managers. And he said, well, they didn't have all the faculties, basically. In other words, let's just cut right to the chase. There are still a lot of people out there who think that black football players and black baseball players and black GMs and coaches just aren't as smart. And it's time that the law clears that up and says no there has to really be an equal playing field pun intended so that guys like eric bianemy and byron leftwich and lovey smith would get another chance at a head coaching job in the nfl get a chance because a lot of the white coaches who are getting hired aren't better than them
0: or jim caldwell who's been like the only guy to do anything in detroit in the last 30 years
2: of course there's i mean there's listen white and black and you know latin x and everything there's a lot of really great candidates out there and we know there's only 32 teams and no one here is saying that a black candidate should get the job over a more qualified candidate from another race what we're trying to say here is they need to be given an equal chance and that has not been the case under the Rooney rule so now it's in front of a court to make laws and make policy that the nfl is going to have to follow
0: So I'll get you out of here on this. How much of this, when you're looking at a structural system, institutionalized racism, boils down to the fact that ownership is completely white?
2: Oh, um, 99.9%. This is literally, literally a billionaire boys club. So while all of us can say it's not fair, it's not fair, you know, there's only one thing that fans can do. Right, Fans can stop buying the jerseys and stop going to the games and stop buying these, like I have, the really expensive uh, TV packages that allow us to watch these games because the NFL understands only one thing, and that's why Brian Flores filed suit. The NFL understands money so if you want to hit the nfl where it hurts and you want them to actually change how they run their business the same way you would change how walmart runs their business you tell walmart i'm not buying your stuff anymore you tell the nfl i'm not buying your stuff and watching your product anymore
0: aaron appreciate your time on this thanks and uh we'll see where this goes i'm sure this is just the beginning of this story
2: thanks christian happy to come back on anytime take care
0: well thank you very much for listening to the cjob sports Joe podcast if you like what you heard guess what you can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places, I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again.
2: So and thanks for all the So sad that should come to this. We try to warn you all the day. You may not share our
0: intellect, we